listeners. I'm Joni B. Cole, host of Author Can I Ask You? For people like me who love books and the stories behind the books, this show gives me the chance to ask authors about what they write and why they write. Plus, I like to throw in a few odd questions just to get to know each author a little bit better as a person. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Today, I welcome Sarah Stewart Taylor, whose new book, A Distant Grave, is the second volume in a mystery series featuring homicide detective Maggie Darcy. As Maggie works to help solve both a new crime and a mystery from her personal past, the story transports readers from her home turf in Long Island to the lush countryside of Ireland. Kirkus Reviews had this to say about A Distant Grave. Taylor pulls out all the stops subplots, threats, red herrings, warning bells to keep the pot boiling till the end. Sarah, welcome to the show. I've been looking forward to talking with you. Thank you, Joni. I've been looking forward to it too. So Sarah, like so many readers, I loved A Distant Grave and I loved its predecessor, The Mountains Wild. So I wanted to start by asking you about Maggie Darcy, who is a feat in characterization. And I'm not just saying this because she is, in fact, a riveting character, but I've known you a long time, Sarah, and I know you live on a Vermont farm and you write and teach and have kids and you raise sheep and grow blueberries. And none of that really suggests any affinity for the world of cops. (laughs) But you have managed to create this remarkably convincing detective. So I wanted to ask, how did you deliver that level of authenticity, not just in Maggie, but about police work in general? Well, first of all, thank you. That is such a compliment. That makes me so happy that she came across that way. Uh, So, you know, it's interesting. Maggie really came from a question that I asked myself as I was dreaming up the first book in the series, The Mountains Wild. And the question was, what would it be like to be the family member of someone who disappeared? The reason for that question was that when I was living in Ireland in the mid-90s, going to graduate school and working over there, uh, there was the first in what would end up being a series of disappearances of women, really tragic disappearances that to this day have not been solved. And I think because I was living there when the first of these disappearances happened, I always, you know, I was always haunted by these cases and I kept track of them even once I'd moved back to the States. And I just kept thinking about the families. I mean, obviously I thought a lot about the women um, and, and I thought a lot about their families and I just sort of wondered what would it be like to be a family member of someone who disappeared and whose case was never solved. So you never had any answers or closure. And how would it affect the choices that you make in your life? So Maggie really came out of that question. I thought about a young woman whose beloved cousin goes missing and she goes to Ireland to see if she can figure out what happened to her cousin, but she can't get any answers. And so she becomes a homicide detective largely because of her frustration um, in not being able to solve this case. And then 23 years later, new evidence is found and now a homicide detective with all of these skills, she goes back to Ireland to see if she can solve the case once and for all. And so it's interesting because you're absolutely right that, you know, this is a, it's a police procedural and the series is about homicide detectives. 
but it almost didn't start that way. Do you think that you would be a good detective in real life? Oh, you know, it's funny. I think everyone who writes crime fiction has a little detective alter ego inside. Um, In some ways I do, you know, I was a journalist. And so I think I developed the skill of questioning people and, you know, interviewing and asking questions of people to get to know them and to kind of figure out who they are. So I think I'd be good in that respect. Um, I think there are other aspects of being a real life law enforcement professional that are, you know, are, are actually, you know, detectives have told me quite tedious. It's actually very slow work um, in crime novels and in movies and TV shows. It's like the discoveries and the revelations come like one every episode or one every chapter, but it's not like that in real life. And I think, I wonder if I would have the patience for the real sort of persistent, sometimes years long, decades long commitment to a case that actual homicide detectives have to have. So you grew up in Long Island, which is where you placed the hometown of Maggie. And you went to Middlebury College, and then you attended Trinity in Dublin. And you decided to live in Ireland for a while back in the 90s. What is the pull of that country for you? You know, I it's something that I, I can't explain that well, actually. It was a place I was fascinated by, I think mostly through literature, frankly. My senior year of college, I took a really, really good Joyce seminar. And as part of that, started to read a lot of Irish history. And I got interested in Irish culture. Actually, the summer before I took that seminar, while backpacking around Europe, uh, spent about two weeks traveling around Ireland. I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but I just felt this connection to it. It, There's like a real pull. And after college, I was trying to figure out what to do. And I wasn't quite ready to, you know, get a job and settle down. I got a one-way ticket and um, this work permit. And I thought, oh, I'll just have fun. And then I'll come back in a few months and get a job. And what happened was I loved living in Ireland. And so I just stayed and I worked for a while and then decided that I wanted to go to graduate school. So I went to graduate school over there. Well, that one-way ticket was kind of a clue that (laughs) you might want to spend some time there. You know, from your book, Sarah, I get the impression that you are a bit of a research geek. And I mean that in a really flattering way. But I remember when I was reading your Sweeney St. George series about an art historian who is an expert in cemetery art. Your books really do take readers into such diverse experiences and do these deep dives into different worlds. Do you like the research part of the writing process? I love it. I love the research part. You know, sometimes it's a bit of a danger for me, I think, because I enjoy the research so much that I want to cram everything I've learned into the book. And you can overdo it with the research, <laughs> as most writers of fiction will find out. You know, you need you need enough that it that the reader feels informed and that it feels like you know what you're talking about but you don't ever want to seem didactic or that you're including too much. So that's always a line that I have to walk very carefully. 
Vermont's uh, beloved mystery author, Archer Mayer, once said when I was doing an event with him that his books always start with something that he wants to know more about. And I think that's a really good way of describing it. You know, most of my books, I start with something I want to know more about. And the book is my way of learning about it. And hopefully readers will want to know about it too. What's the hardest part for you about being a writer? I think, I mean, certainly just the, the, the work of it the hours that you have to sit in a chair, you know, getting words down on the page. Um, my process is very much a quick or sometimes not so quick, very <laughs> rough first draft where I'm just getting the story out and figuring out the the outlines of the story I'm trying to tell. And then I do a lot of revision. I go back and I rewrite and I tear it apart, you know, and then I focus on the language and characterization. And so for me, there are a lot of steps to the process and I find the rough draft exciting, but torturous, you know, it's hard work just getting that story out. And then once I'm into the revision process, I start to enjoy myself more. You know, I think that's where I really... I, you know, it's like, oh, I, there's something here and I see how I can make it even better. And I see how I can inject a theme or do something with this character I want to do. But I mean, you know, it's just hard, hard work. And then aside from that, I do think it's interesting. I actually just wrote an essay for a site called Career Authors about the difficult emotional aspects of being a writer. And I think these are the ones that we don't talk about that much. And we should, because no matter how successful you may seem, once you scratch the surface, every writer has, you know, multiple longstanding stories of rejection in their resume. And that's really hard keeping the faith when you're being faced with a lot of rejection. Um, you know, I find the waiting really hard. Publishing is a business that includes just a ton of waiting at every step of the process and at every step of your career. And, um, that can be really hard, I think. Was it hard to get a publisher for this new series? It was interesting because I had sort of stepped away from crime writing for a while. You know, I wrote the Sweeney series. And at that point, I was on a book a year schedule. And once I had young children, I just couldn't do that. It was just impossible for me. Um, so I sort of stepped away and I wrote some kids books in there. And then I would say about five years, five or six years ago, I started working on The Mountains Wild. And it was hard to use a term from business. Like I was sort of having to on-ramp again. Oh, yeah. You know, I had kind of, I'd let my crime writing career go. And the connections that I had, some of them were not there anymore. But in a sort of really wonderful and to me, very sort of profound <laughs> circular sequence of events, I ended up selling The Mountains Wild and A Distant Grave to the same editor who published The Sweeney Mysteries. Um, you know, we went out to a bunch of editors and it turned out that, you know, she was the one who really got the books and who I had this working relationship with. And that's just been really wonderful to kind of be back with her and to take this leap with her again. I'm sure those other editors are kicking themselves now too, but I love that full circle quality to that story. You mentioned your books for young readers, and I want to talk about that. The Expeditioners, that series, it's an illustrated series for young readers. It's full of maps and adventure and kid power. Why did you make this foray into literature for children? 
it was like I wanted to write something that I could share with my kids. And that that's really where it came from. You know, I just I sort of had this idea about these siblings in this dystopian future world where it's discovered that the maps of the world are all wrong. <laughs> you know, it was funny. I think I thought to myself, oh, I'll write this. It'll be quick. Like it somehow seemed to me that, oh, you know, I don't have the bandwidth or the creative energy to write a crime novel right now. I've stepped away from that, but somehow writing a kid's book would be easier. And I'm here to tell you that that is not true. (laughs) People who write amazing novels for kids, I am just awestruck by the people who do that because it's really hard to write for kids without writing down to kids. And, you know, all the things that you put into novels for adults have to be there in novels for kids too. So my tricky plan to like, you know, make things easy on myself did not pan out, but I had fun. I had so much fun writing those novels. Your kids must love those books. Yeah. It's been really fun sharing them with them. Sarah, I'm going to switch topics now. And I want to ask you about your experience as a writing teacher. You've been on the faculty in the past of this really cool place, the Center for Cartoon Studies. It's located right here in White River Junction, Vermont. What's it like teaching writing to cartoonists and aspiring graphic novelists? You know, the Center for Cartoon Studies is, it's such an amazing place. And the students who are coming out of there, I mean, they're just like taking the world by storm, publishing books and they're winning awards. And it's just, it's an amazing place. Um, I think for me, it helped me to understand story fundamentals in a way. I think teaching is always really useful because when you are explaining something to someone, you have to really understand it deeply inside and out. And talking about story, about writing for comics with cartoonists really forced me to deconstruct the shape of a story and really understand how stories work so that I could work with them. I'm really grateful for that. It was really fun. I do have a craft-related question for you. Readers and reviewers, they rave about your characters and your plot, but your books are also striking because of this quality atmosphere. You really have pulled off this tricky thing. And atmosphere, I think for writers, is a difficult trait to achieve because it's tangible, but it's not tangible. Do you have any insights or tips on how aspiring authors can imbue their own books with atmosphere? I mean, I think setting is a huge part of atmosphere. And so wherever your story is set, you want to really know it inside and out to use the sort of sensory aspects of that place to help create atmosphere. I think that's the first thing I would say is really, really pin down the setting. It's hard to create atmosphere if you're using just sort of a generic rural setting or a generic suburban setting. You want to understand the history of that place. You want to understand what the weather's like, what the architecture is, you know, all of that. And then I would also say, you know, really think about who your characters are. What's that energy between them? I think often atmosphere comes from that energy between characters. Is there something hidden there? Are there secrets? Are there romantic feelings that could help contribute to an atmosphere? Kind of like the spaces between the notes in a way. It's got to be there. It contributes so much, but it's it's more felt yeah. in a way. Yeah, I think that's right. But it comes from the author deeply understanding it, even if it's not on the page. Um, that's a great insight. Thank you for that. I have one last question for you. Sure. 
If you were to write a six-word memoir, what would it be? So I think this is very reflective of where I am at this exact moment in time, which is I am revising the third Maggie novel, and I have a big job ahead of me. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed by this revision. My current my current memoir is just keep doing all the things. <laughs> you know, just I think it's a thing of just keep putting one foot in front of the other and fix the next scene and then fix the scene after that and uh, just keep doing all the things. That's my <laughs> that's my memoir for the moment. I think that's the most practical memoir I've ever heard. <laughs> Don't even prioritize. Just keep doing all the things. Right. I love that. Mostly I love hearing that you're hard at work on the third yeah. Maggie Darcy series. So thank you because I wanted to find out about that. Actually, thank you, Sarah, so much for this time. It's great to catch up. We live so close, but I don't get to see you between the sheep and the writing and all. So I really appreciate you being a guest on this show. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, Joni. It was so great to get to chat with you. And uh, yeah, let's have coffee soon. Sounds great. Listeners, if you would like to learn more about Sarah Stewart Taylor, her Maggie Darcy mystery series, and her other page turners, be sure to visit her website, sarahstewarttaylor.com. So that's it for this episode of Author, Can I Ask You? Thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you like what you heard, please spread the word and visit me on my website, joanibcole.com. In the meantime, take care, act civil, and don't be afraid to ask the odd questions.